2: Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.
3: The volume. Well, we're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away with an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game this September. So football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with the code MANIX. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL with code MANIX. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877 8 hope York or text 877-HOPE-NY, 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, see sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football for terms for eligibility. Terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. We are live, as we often are, on AMP. Make sure to subscribe to the Volume feed on AMP, my feed on AMP, at Chris Mannix, to get the first listen of this podcast and all the Volume Sports Podcast. We've got a loaded show for you this week. Jim Lampley, HBO Boxing's uh, lead play-by-play man for decades, Boxing Hall of Famer. He joins me and... Uh, My first question for Jim is, where have you been? It's been almost five years since HBO went out of business. We haven't heard much from Jim Lampley over that time. We talk a little bit about the state of boxing broadcasting. And, uh, of course, we get into Canelo Charlo. Jim is doing some work for payperview.com during fight week. And we'll be uh, doing some work live on fight night for them as well. But first, there is a lot of news in boxing we had a significant development in the heavyweight division last weekend. We had an interesting card in Orlando, Florida, this past weekend as well. And of course, we've got Canelo against Charlo. Big fight this weekend on Showtime pay per view. To we'll talk about that and much more, I want to bring in Sergio Mora, former junior middleweight champion, the zone broadcaster, reluctant friend of the pod. People can't see this, but Sergio signed onto the Zoom. Under the handle of indentured servant, which uh, is his way of protesting the amount of times he does this podcast without compensation, is that is that fair to say, Sergio? Absolutely correct,
4: Chris Mannix. You uh, take advantage of me and my service, my expertise that I bring to the table. Everyone pays me for my time and my knowledge, except you. You try to pay me with alcohol, but you're only <laughs> you're only keeping that that broken cycle alive and like a fish, I fall for it, but I need to stop doing it. You need to start paying me. You're rich. You're a rich cheapskate. Everyone else here is getting paid. Your producer is getting paid. I'm not getting paid.
3: Let me tell you something. Paying for you in alcohol is oftentimes more expensive than what I like it would fine be to pay you. I like
4: fine wine, Mannix. I like yeah. nice stuff. If you're gonna buy stuff, I'm gonna take advantage of it. I'm sorry to say. I like champagne.
3: <laughs> we'll discuss. Real
4: pain for my sham friends you are one of them. All right.
3: Um, all right, Sergio. You and I were in Orlando to call the card headline by Richard Hitchens and Jose Zepeda. I want to get into that, but first, uh, earlier in the day on Saturday in the U.S., you had a fight between Jay Lee Zhang and Joe Joyce over in the U.K. This is a rematch of a fight that took place months earlier that was stopped after Zhang busted up the right eye of Joe Joyce. Um, I, I thought it was going to be a competitive fight in the rematch. I mean, Joyce was stopped on his feet in the first fight, but he wasn't knocked out. Uh, instead, we had a one-sided demolition by a man that is fast becoming one of the heavy, best heavyweights in all of boxing. Third round knockout for Li Zhang against Joe Joyce. Li uh, Zhang is an incredible story. We've had a chance to call a few of his fights uh, over the years. He's 40 years old. He was a, a silver medalist in the 2008 Olympics. He competed in 2012, turned pro, in 2014 when he was in his late 30s and, or early 30s. And now, Sergio, here he is. And at worst, Jay Li Jong is the fourth best heavyweight in the world. Where did this guy come from? I mean, what, are you, what is your take on the rapid rise of Jay Li Zhang?
4: Well, he came from China, and that's why we never heard of him. I mean, but he was an Olympian. Silver medalist. Uh, Joe Joyce was a medalist as well. These are two big men with a lot of experience. So, they have that backing, they have that, that, that pedigree. So, it's no surprise that once they do face each other, we're seeing knockouts. These men know how to punch. Uh, I was surprised that uh, Zhang was able to do it so quickly and back to back against one of the best heavyweights in the world, a big juggernaut of a fighter. I mean, these are massive men, man, it's six foot six plus, 250 plus. It only takes one punch. That's the good part, you know, for fans, for you, for me. It's going to end in a knockout. That's why everyone hate, uh, loves heavyweight boxing. But what you hate is these guys just don't take more than one punch, mostly, because they're not accustomed to getting hit by that big of a fighter. Uh, another thing that I want to touch on here, Gile uh, Shang, if that's how you say his name, the Big Bang, he's 40 years old, and it looks like he's still in his prime. You know, it's, It looks like he's still in his heavyweight prime, like he still not, can knock out some of the best. Heavyweights have an advantage other fighters don't. They could fight until their late 30s. They could fight later into their career because they don't extend that much, expend that much energy. They can fight behind a jab. It ends in one punch, usually a right hand. And that's what we saw with Jang, a big right hook from a southpaw. One of the most dangerous weapons in, in any, any boxer, any weight class, is a right hook from a southpaw. I say it all the time because you don't see it coming from the left-handed stance. And look at how Joe Joyce responded to it. So these are all things that, they're kind of no- novel. You know, if that's the word, novelty. 40-year-old Chinese heavyweight knocking out people. We've never seen it. I like seeing it. I didn't expect it, especially back-to-back against Joe Joyce. So bring on a bigger fight for Jean because he deserves it One Time is not on his side too. And he's with the right team and promotion to make a big, big splash, especially if this fight ends up being uh, in China next.
3: You know, if you watched... Jay Lee Zhang fight Jerry Forrest back in 2021. You would never have expected mm-hmm. this to happen. We call I mean, the Jerry Forrest... Yeah, the, the Jerry Forrest fight, <laughs> in fairness to Zhang, was an anomaly. He came into that fight, and he had a lot of medical issues. You know, I remember him telling me during that fight week that he had... Or after the fight week, he had just one glass of water the entire time he was down in Florida. He had to be hospitalized after the fight for anemia, dehydration, a whole litany of issues that he had. So the Forrest fight... I think made people believe that he was a lesser fighter, but there were a lot of reasons that fight went the way it did. He followed that up with a second round knockout of Craig Lewis, a first round knockout of Scott Alexander. He goes over to Saudi Arabia and in my opinion, beat uh Philip Perkovich. Like that was a very close fight, but I thought Zong did enough to win, knocked Perkovich down early in that fight uh, and loses a, a close decision. And then he gets back-to-back wins over Joe Joyce. Joe Joyce, you know, before the first fight with Zhang was looked at as kind of the boogeyman or one of the boogeymen of the heavyweight division, the guy that nobody really wanted to fight because he had a lot of power and he had a great great chin. Well, Zhang busted up his face the first time and then face plants him the second time. Whenever you see a guy, Sergio, get face planted, you know that's a big time knockout. So I guess my question now for you is this. At 40 years old, is Zhang competitive against Tyson Fury? Is he competitive against Alexander Usyk? Is he competitive against Anthony Joshua? Do you look at Zhang as being on that level?
4: He's competitive with all of them except Usyk because what beats uh, age and 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 when you're that big is being elusive, footwork, uh, fighting someone in angles. We're not accustomed to see this in the heavyweight division except for Usyk who's a cruiserweight, cruiserweight coming up and he has that Ukrainian... Uh, uh, boxing ballet way about him. I mean, he's a southpaw. He ha- has uh, the Olympic gold medal. He cleaned out the cruiserweight division, but he did it with his feet. He did it with footwork, just like Lomachenko. They have their own lethal style of fighting, and they get in angles, and they batter you from every which way. It feels like you're getting jumped by three or four boxers. That's what it's like to fight guys like that. So whenever you're dealing with size, Mannix, you don't beat size with size. That's why with these big men, they fighting each other. They don't know... They, they don't really know how to react to their power because they're not accustomed to fighting another six foot six, two hundred and fifty plus pound fighter. They're accustomed to fighting the Jerry Forrests of the world, six foot one. And you know, credit to Forrest. He he did his thing there. But yeah, normally six foot two, six foot three, that's a normal heavyweight, six foot four, maybe. Six foot six, I mean, and plus, yeah, anomaly. I'll use your word. It's unheard of. So these guys aren't accustomed to fighting each other. They're accustomed to the fight, being the, the big man and having the size advantage. So they're, they're, they're now just barely uh, growing accustomed to that. Zhang, uh, on the other hand, like I said, he has that Olympic experience. So he's fought every which way, every which style. So did Joe Joyce, but they didn't fight each other in the amateurs. They didn't fight each other in, 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 in where it should matter because one punch is only going to change. And we saw it with Zhang. I mean, the big puncher, both hands, both hands. And it comes from that Paul style. So you don't even see that right hook coming. It was vicious.
3: Yeah, he, he broke the face of Joe Joyce with straight left hands in the first fight. They knocked him out with a right hook. I mean, he has got a great diversity of skills. There's no question about that. Um, Fury Usyk, is, I, I think, is is likely going to happen uh, sometime next year. I think they've made enough progress in those talks to make me believe that's going to happen. Anthony Joshua's got a plan. It doesn't sound like that plan includes fighting um uh, fighting Zhe Li Zhang. So uh, I guess the question is, what is the big fight out there for him? And one fight I'd be really interested in seeing Zhe Li Zhang in is against Jared Anderson. Jared Anderson, of course, undefeated heavyweight with top rank right now. Zhang has, uh, some kind of contractual agreement with Frank Warren. Frank Warren, of course, does a lot of business with top rank. They've got an alignment there. I would love to see Zhang against Jared Anderson. Jared Anderson been looking for a big fight. Zhe Li Zhang has an interim title, uh, at the heavyweight division, He's based in Jersey, so he's got some, some U.S. support there. You do that fight in like New York, Sergio, you could draw a lot of Chinese fans there, do a good Um, uh, I think that's a perfect fight. Jared Anderson trying to take the next step to a championship level. Jay Li Zhang wants only big fights. I think I'd like to see Anderson against Zhang.
4: Yeah, that's a good fight. Uh, I got a better one for you that I think deserves it a little bit more. Michael Hunter think Michael Hunter deserves this fight a lot more. He's looking for a big fight. This guy's given Usyk uh, difficulties. He's already put himself in position. Where's Michael Hunter in, in all this? He's an undefeated fighter that gives everyone fits. I mean, if, if you're talking about Anderson, Michael Hunter should be above that. So give me give me that fight instead, the bounty hunter.
3: Yeah, I, I can see. Look, Michael Hunter, I agree with you, deserves to get a fight. He has been kind of blackballed you know, in the boxing industry. He's been chasing fights publicly on social media. And I, I firmly believe... Like, if you make him a reasonable offer, he'll fight anybody. I know he's right now he's after a rematch with Martin Bacoli, but um, I, I'm just saying for from a money perspective, like, I don't know what Michael Hunter gets Jay Lee Zhang. Like, I don't know what it accomplishes for him. I think Jared Anderson accomplishes a lot more. If Jay if Lee Zhang can go out and beat Joe Joyce, who's looked at as, you know, the, one of the boogeymen over in the U.K., if he comes to the U.S. and knocks off arguably the top heavyweight prospect, that makes some sense to me. I think there's way more money in that for Zhang, which at 40, you know, Sergio, that's what he's into right now. You know, he is all about money at this point. So I'd like yeah, to see Jared Anderson. Yeah, I just of don't think, I don't think, I don't think Top Rank money. will do it though. I don't think Top Rank will put Jared Anderson in with them. I, 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 I don't believe that they would do that.
4: Well, well, there you go. Then that's not going to happen. But whoever fight, whoever uh, Zhang fights Nets, it, it better be a big name for big money, and it better be someone that's willing to go to China because he doesn't have that many fights left in him. I don't think we see uh Li Zhang become a heavyweight champion. I think he, at 40 years old, it's way too late. I mean, he, he's not George Foreman, and don't even begin to compare him as that. He's a 40-year-old man, and he's going to have issues with any top heavyweight any top heavyweight unless you match them up properly so whoever you match them up properly with next better be a big money and it better be uh one of these uh uh planned for a last fight you have to see it that way not a swan song type fight but Hey, this may be his last you fight. Think so he's like, well, you
3: think he's in a cash out position right now? Because yeah, absolutely, like you, absolutely you, you like old. you put yes. hold on. But you put Zhang, you put Zhang in with AJ right now. I'd favor Zhang in that fight, honestly. You know Zhang, yeah. you know I, I don't think you can knock Jay Lee Zhang out. I don't believe that. I, I think we've seen enough against big punchers like Hergovich and Joyce to believe that he can handle the power of anybody in the division. You have to be ready to take. Brutal punishment over the course of 12 rounds to hang with Zhang. And I'm not sure AJ can do that at this point. I- I'd love to see it, especially over in China. I don't think it happens. I'm not sure he can do it.
4: I don't think he fights AJ, but I think he could fight someone else under AJ. I mean, uh, why not Wilder? That would be a, in, I mean, incredibly entertaining fight. fight. Be- and, uh, you could sell that fight around the world. Who wouldn't want to watch uh, two big men like this and Wilder with that big right hand personalities being different, so different. I mean, Wilder would do the promotion. Uh, Jean would be, you know, bring the billions of Chinese cents. That that's a perfect matchmakers fight. And both these guys need a big knockout, and you're bound to get it. Both these guys are 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 susceptible defensively. We're bound to get a knockout. Let these big six foot six plus men, one of them, one of them's gonna get knocked out brutally for the sake of the sport, and we're all gonna be watching and loving it.
3: That's another great fight too. Uh, I'd love to see it get made, but again, I think Wilder is is still trying to make a fight against Anthony Joshua. I'm just trying to be realistic with what could be next for Zhang. And if Jared Anderson, who I think is going to fight coming up in the next couple of months, if he is available early next year, I would love to see Anderson against Zhang in New York, uh, early next year. All right, let's go back to the card that we were on this past weekend in Orlando, Sergio, uh, Conor Ben made his return, 17-month layoff. Uh, he returns against Rodolfo Orozco and gets a 10-round unanimous decision win. This fight was contested at 154 pounds. There's certainly a lot of controversy around Ben coming into this fight. The idea that he should be fighting uh, was in question. Ben, of course, is not past all the issues he has that date back to the multiple positive tests clomiphene in the build-up to the fight against Chris Eubank Jr. He was technically clear to fight. Like, that is true. The state of Florida had the right to license him because there was no suspension over in the U.K., and the Association of Boxing Commissions, after receiving a negative VADA test, took Conor Ben off their suspended list. So he was technically allowed to fight. Should he have been fighting until his issues with the U.K. were resolved? That's more of a subjective question. There are a lot of people, mostly in the UK, that believe he should have to deal with the British Boxing Board of Control before he gets back in the ring. Conor Benn, his team say, look, we want to deal with the British Boxing Board, but you know they appealed the decision by the National Anti-Doping Panel to lift the suspension, and there is no date yet for that appeal. So we got to get out, we got to stay active, we've been out of the ring for a long time, where do you come down on that, Sergio? Should Conor Ben have been fighting last weekend or should he have dealt with his issues in the UK first?
4: You'd think 18 months being out of the ring in the prime of his career isn't punishment enough? He already dealt with it. I mean, how, how long do you want this young man to, uh, 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 you know, be punished for something that, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's a terrible thing what happened, but he's making a case for himself and there's a case against him. I'm not a judge or jury, nor I'm, am I going to attempt to defend one side or the other. But whatever did happen is he, he already served his punishment, not only by the court of law, um, by the court of uh, public opinion, but the court of law and the commission. He, he's has, he hasn't fought. So they had to go around the world to find a loophole. And it took, of course, Florida to, 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 to give him sanction that. Texas probably would have done it. Any other state would have done it. Another country would have done it. But it happens all the time. Whenever you have a name... And so many people hate that name and, and you can't get a license. You're bound to find a license somewhere. There's a loophole, whether he did it or not. Like I said, I'm not going to touch on that. That's up to you and other writers and other opinions. Me as a fighter, let the man fight, man. He's 20, what he's, he's in the mid twenties. He's in the prime of his career, attention, popularity, uh, prime money making years. You don't punish that man for, for. For how long do you want him to punish for? How long do you want him to, to be on timeout? It's ridiculous. I mean, was it proven? Yes. Did he get busted? Yes. But did he get? Did he say his piece? And was it beyond a reasonable doubt? Was there other people that, that, that could say, maybe that could happen? I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a judge or jury, man. And don't try to hang me for my opinion either. All I'm saying is, if he did it, he served his punishment. If he didn't do it, man, the, the kid needs to fight. The kid needs to make a living. It was emotional seeing that 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 interview that you and him had because I was sitting in on it, and I was just feeling for him, man, because I've been stretches of inactivity longer than that <laughs> purposely, not because I couldn't <laughs> fight because I like fun. But on the other hand, uh, it sucks man being inactive like that because when you come back you don't have that confidence you don't have that timing you don't have that 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 that, uh, that killer ability that i'm gonna go walk straight through this guy it's i gotta get past the cobwebs. uh do i have enough conditioning to go to the end uh how are people gonna look at me uh, so many things running through your head ben already got his punishment man let him move on let him continue on his journey right or wrong whether you think he did it or not doesn't matter you're not the fighter you're not the one having to make a living. That's it. Let him fight. And he did.
3: I think what people want is an adjudication of this. They want a public resolution to this one way or the other. As far as punishment, I tend to agree with you. Even if Conor Ben did what he is being accused of and what there are positive test results for, he has effectively been suspended for a year. The positive tests came to light for the Chris Eubank Jr. fight in what, late September, early October, I think it was late September of 2023 or 2022, and Conor Ben returned to the ring in late September of 2023. That is effectively a one-year suspension. For some context, you look at Canelo Alvarez. When he tested positive for Clenbuterol, the Nevada Commission gave him a six-month suspension for that first offense. More recently, Michelle Rivera tested positive for multiple banned substances. He was given a six-month suspension as a result of that. Generally speaking, at least in the U.S., these yield like six-ish month suspension. So Conor Ben, in a way, exceeded that. You know, he wasn't formally suspended, but he exceeded what the usual punishment has been for for him. I I think people just want to see resolution. They want to see Conor Ben, the British Boxing Board of Control, the the U.K. Anti-Doping Agency. They want to see... All these parties sit down in a room and get on the same page one way or the other, where there is a statement, there is a punishment, and we're all moving on uh, from there. So I, I can see, I can certainly see both sides of it. You know, I can certainly see, understand people saying Conor Ben shouldn't fight until the UK stuff is so resolved, but think? at the same give,
4: time... In give your opinion, well, what do you think?
3: I, look, I, I was... I was fine with Conor Ben fighting for two reasons. One, I do think he has served his time. And I've said that on previous podcasts. I also think while the BBBOC and UKAD have appealed the decision to lift the suspension, which was lifted back in July, there's no date for that appeal. And if you're kind of sitting out there in limbo... I, I think you, if, if I think you have the right to kind of move on. If you are cleared to fight, I hate using that phrase because Eddie Hearn used that phrase all the time. But if you are cleared to fight, you have the right to do it. I mean, Florida was going to license Damn him. Right. The Associated Boxing Commissions didn't suspend him. You have the right to do it. So if he's, you know, eligible and does not have a date for that appeal, I think he has the right to fight. Now I take a lot of issue with some of the stuff that Conor Ben has done, specifically how his stories seem to be shifting and. He has been unwilling to be as transparent as humanly possible. He's got this 270-page report. Very few people have seen it. Uh, He was standoffish with the British Boxing Board, with UKAD early on. He wasn't, you know, kind of... He wasn't revealing all his information to them. Like, there was a lot of missteps along the way. But the reality is, Conor Ben was suspended for... uh, Effectively suspended for a year. And he was eligible to fight in Florida. So I didn't... I just didn't have an issue... With him getting in the ring on that, especially since he was vada tested before and I believe after, and took all the Florida tests that went along uh, with it, so I didn't have an issue with that. So, listen,
4: let, one, 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 one more thing, one more, one more thing here. The, 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 the perfect example in in whether right or wrong, and and uh, and people wanted uh, a fighter not to face Muhammad Ali, right? When when he didn't want to go to the uh, well,
3: draft I, wouldn't I wouldn't go not there. I wouldn't go. No,
4: listen to me. There. Three and a half years. No, I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying that was a face of nobody wanting him to fight because of whatever whatever he did, draft dra- dodging, wasn't being an American. But looking back, he looked at like a hero. But three and a half years out of his prime, Mannix, and he had to go to Atlanta, Georgia to go fight fight uh, what Jerry Quarry. I mean, this you took the greatest fighter of all times prime. So all the people that were against that, and now if you look back, Ali's a hero. But all the people in that time, they're like, what the hell, man? He shouldn't be fighting. He's anti-American, this, this, that. It's wrong, man. It's, th- there's two different sides. And if the, the court of law, if you find a loophole, I don't care where in the world, if you find a loophole and if you're on parole and you're able to be free, you do what you got to do to survive. You do what you do to get paid, especially when you're a young man in your prime, because there's no looking back in retrospect saying, oh, well, uh, maybe that was the best thing for him then. Or no, no, no. It doesn't work that way. You got to move forward. And that's what Connor Ben did.
3: I think there are zero similarities with Ali. Just to be clear, I, I don't. I mean, I, I understand what face, you're saying. I time just said off. The
4: face. The I. The face of suspensions. That's a, that's the right. one that. people but Ali, Ali. Ali
3: was. Uh, Ali was a victim in a way in all that. I don't think Conor Ben.
4: Not at the time with, he was hated, Mannix. He was hated. He by He was his hated, people. but he was standing he on was principle. He was hated by his own know? people. That's uh, that, that's <laughs> I know, all I say.
3: What he was doing was standing on principle at that point and, and stuck by it and it cost him many years. Of his, religious uh,
4: principle, religious Conor ben, principle.
3: look, Connor Ben. From what I understand, Connor Ben has had multiple opportunities to take a slap on the wrist from the British Boxing Board and has not taken it because he he, he will not admit that something like this, uh, you know, was was in his system by choice or you know even even gotten his system in, in a way that he didn't know. I mean, he's now saying it was contaminated eggs. We told me in our interview, uh, but uh, you know, I, my understanding is Connor Ben's had a few opportunities to take a slap on the wrist, and has not taken. That's why this thing has been dragging out as long uh, as it has. But I do want to talk about what he looked like in the ring, Sergio, because this was Conor Ben's first fight at 154 pounds. He fought a complete unknown in Rodolfo Orosco. He had a lot of knockouts on his resume, but no big-time opponents, no even B-level opponents, at least ones that we know of. Uh, he goes the distance with Orosco, hit Roscoe with everything but the kitchen sink in that fight. Through all his power shots, nothing seemed to phase, or very little seemed to phase, Rodolfo Orosco. What did that tell you about Conor Ben and his future uh, in weight classes above 147 pounds?
4: I think Conor Ben looked really, really good, even without the knockout. I think he looked sharp. His legs looked good. He didn't look rusty. Uh, He didn't look timid to get punched. He was explosive. He was going for the knockout. He was just in there with a fighter that had, what, 38, 39 fights, a Mexican that was a lot bigger, rehydrated maybe 20, 25 pounds heavier, and he took a big shot. Odovo came coming. He was like Frankenstein uh, during the telecast. And I, I hated to bring up Antonio Margarito's name, but that's what Margarito looked like against Cotto. You know, Cotto, Cotto was a smaller man. Margarito was a bigger man. And we all know what happened in the, you know, in the first fight. But in the second fight, Margarito was late dangerous in that fight. And Conor Ben never let Orozco get dangerous. So I got to give him credit for that. He boxed the hell out of him. He hurt him, especially with the body. He just couldn't take him out of there just because he couldn't get the knockout what does it matter? He still got the rounds in. He still looked good. He still got paid. And now it's on to the next one. Hopefully the next one's a big one, you know, a big fight, the Eubanks fight, and put all this behind him. Because what, like my trainer used to say, you know, no matter how, how, how bad fans hate you and don't want to see you fight, knockouts take care of everything. A knockout, short-term memory's gone. We want to see you again. And this kid, you know, Conor Ben, he's exciting to watch, and he always goes for the knockout. He just didn't get it against a big, strong Mexican, and you know Mexicans got that chin, Mannix.
3: Roscoe can take a punch, man. He really can. Um, I, I was amazed to see on Box Rec that he started his career at 108 pounds. I, I didn't believe that because he was at least 165, maybe even high as 170 oh, in the ring. I mean, he mm-hmm. was a big dude. Um, I, look, I, I don't think Conor Ben should be fighting above welterweight. I don't. Look, it, it, those guys looked like they were two weight classes apart in the ring. They did. And... Orozco, for all his durability, if he had a little more firepower, that fight could have been a lot different. It could have. Uh, and if Conor Ben keeps up this ascent, if he keeps talking about fighting guys who are the best at 154 and 160, whether well, it's Chris Eubank and Adi Golovkin, who knows what fights he could be pursuing, one of these guys with more firepower is going to catch him. So I think it's a mistake for Conor Ben to, to go above. That's I think a mistake. lesson should be learned there. I, I think a lesson should be learned there. I think he should be fighting at 147. I know how much money there is at you know 160 but you think about what eubank and ben are going to look like in the ring together like eubanks you know he's a guy fought at 168 for a while too he's going to be a big guy when he rehydrates against connor ben who is is a a regular size welterweight i I don't know i mean i i think connor still has you know great power in both hands Uh, he's got good timing good speed but in, in those higher weight classes sergio he's going to have a problem knocking guys out the way he did at welterweight and you know, against guys with more pop, they're going to come back with something big, and we'll see if Conor Ben can take it there. So I, I, my, my takeaway from him in the ring was stay at Welterweight. See if you can conquer that division. Look for big fights at Welterweight, whether it's going for titles. No, man, I bet. disagree,
4: because you got to remember, I became a, a champion at 154. I didn't have power. I didn't knock anyone out of 154.
3: You went 154. down,
4: though. I, I understand that, but I still fought a great fighter, and Vernon Forrest was able to pick up a strap you know, at 50, 154 with no power. I didn't have power at 154, 160. I outboxed guys. That was that was my mo. You know, you, you're 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 giving the gifts that you have. Conor Ben one, He's still growing. Two, he's still he's still a muscular guy, but yes, he's short and he has that lean, dense muscle. So he's never going to grow into a full-fledged middleweight. That you're never going to see. He's he's a muscular, good-looking, explosive fighter. But you can win off of ex- explosive power. I mean, accumulation. It won't be pop and you're going to hurt him. It's going to be accumulation of power, kind of um my name will pop up Andre Berto Andre Berto was a small welterweight he was a small welterweight but he was so compact that he's explosive and he was able to pick up a world title 147 because of that explosive pop you know I think Con- Conor Bank could do the exact same thing at 154. all the guys are going to be bigger than him like you like you said but this this guy's a hell of a fighter he knows how to power box and just because he doesn't bring that power to 154 just yet he could still be explosive enough to bust guys up and still get wins and and TKO wins at that.
3: I'll tell you what it, the money for a U Bank fight is going to be way too much to pass up. So, sure, take that fight if you must if you're Conor Ben. But as your career progresses after that, win or lose. I think Conor Ben should be at 147. I also think there's good fights for him at 147. You've got some, you know, belts that are likely to be vacated there. Boots Ennis is sitting there at 147. That's a great fight. Alexis Rocha, you know, could have a title at 147 soon. That's an excellent fight. Uh, you know, you've you've got some some opportunity there if you're Conor Ben to collect some titles and have some some significant fights in a weight class that you are better suited for. To me, it's a simple. Hey, thing. take the money. Okay,
4: let me one more one more thing. I love those fights. Virgil here, Virgil, Virgil Hunter, Virgil, Virgil, uh, Virgil, Virgil Hunter, uh, Alexis Rocha, plenty of big, young, strong names. It's not going to be for a title, but it could be an eliminator, and it will be for big money. So yeah, if he is going to stick around. Stick around. Oh, Conor Bank,
3: I mean, like, I, look, I think not to get off track here, but I do think that there's no chance that Terrence Crawford defends those titles against anybody not named. Errol Spence uh, anytime soon. I don't think Spence is going to take it at 147 either. So, you know, these will be fights for at least vacant belts that will eventually become full belts. So Conor Ben can fight for titles right now at 147 if he chooses uh, to go that path. All right, top of the card, Sergio, we had Richardson Hitchens, a young prospect in the matchroom stable, uh, taking out Jose Zepeda. 12-round decision, lopsided decision for Richardson Hitchens, who... Uh, is a terrific boxer. There's no question about that. Jose Zepeda had three losses on his resume coming into that fight, but he had never been dominated in the way that Hitchens dominated him. The only, there was no question about Richardson Hitchens' talent coming out of that fight. The questions came about whether or not he needs to be more entertaining. This was something that Eddie Hearn said to him in the ring, you know, right after the fight, said something to the effect of, you got to give it a little bit more, especially towards the end of that fight. As you said, you were a guy that didn't win with a lot of power. Do you believe Hitchens has to do more at the elite level?
4: Does he have to? No. And I think Hitchens needs to make a decision. And uh, for now, he made the right decision. He outboxed, and it was a shutout, man. He completely dominated somebody that's never been dominated like that before in a dangerous uh, southpaw in uh, Zapeda. Jose Zapeda is a three-time world world title challenger. You got to respect that. You got he's he's been in there with champions. Hitchinson, on the other hand, he is barely crossing over into prospect to contender and he I mean he completely whitewashed this fight. He, it was a one-sided no-hitter. Though like I said on the telecast, the only thing more impressive than getting the knockout, which is fun, which is great, people are going to remember you, is pitching a shutout. You know, pitching a shutout is just as impressive because it shows that you're not going to relent and you have the conditioning and the 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 uh, concentration to never let up, never take your foot off the gas, man, that is impressive for a guy that knows what they're watching. I'm a purist. So I'm going to appreciate the purity. Now he needs to make a decision to answer your question. Richardson Hitchens needs to make a decision. Does he want fans on his side? Does he actually want to take opportunities to, to start being the the headliner, maybe making more money, but he's going to take more shots. Hey, he can take that. He can do that because he has the talent to take more chances or is he going to keep doing what he's doing? Dominate, put on cruise control, and go the distance. If he has a couple of those fights, he's going to end up being like Eddie's Lara. No one's going to want to fight him because he's too damn good. Or you can go the other route. You can take some chances like Terrence Crawford, and you can go switch hit and, and beat the hell out of these guys and get the knockout. It took a while, a lot, many fights for Crawford to get to the big stage and the big money. Because one, no one wanted to fight him. And two, he can be offensive and defensive, and he could switch hit. So you got to make Hitchens needs to uh, make the decision because he has the talent of both these fighters. He just needs to uh, understand that there's the boxing, which he's a purist at, and then there's a the boxing business. So let him, let him, let him make a decision for himself.
3: So Richard Hitchens is around the same age as Shakur Stevenson, but he's something of a protege of Shakur Stevenson. They have been in, in several camps together. They are close. In fact, I'm, Reasonably sure at this point, Sergio, that it was Shakur Stevenson on the phone with Hitchens' uh, co-trainer, who was on the ring apron, relaying instructions to Rich Hitchens. I'm reasonably sure uh, that was Shakur Stevenson. I think Shakur is a good template to follow if you're Hitchens, because Shakur, early in his career, when he fought at 126 and a little bit at 130, he was more boxer than puncher. He was defensive-minded. He pot-shotted you, and he cruised to wide decisions win. It was only as Shakur's career has progressed in the last couple of years that he's added the power to his game, the finishing aspect to his game. He's become more aggressive, especially when he has guys in a little bit of trouble. When Hitchens had Zapeda in trouble in the latter stages of that fight, when he had Zapeda defeated, I mean, you, you saw the body language of Zapeda from the 10th round on. He knew he was out of this fight. He knew there was no way he could beat this guy, especially when he's fighting the way he's fighting. That's the opportunities I'd like to see Hitchens take to step on the gas. There were a couple of times, Sergio, 10th, 11th, 12th rounds, where you saw Zapata a little bit on the ropes, a little bit tired. If Hitchens had stepped in there and started to throw some punches, because he does have good power. This is not a guy without power. He has real power. If Hitchens had stepped in then and thrown some shots, I think he could have gotten Zapata out of there. And that, to me, is the next evolution of Richardson Hitchens. I don't expect him to change his game, become a brawler, and just start throwing right hands recklessly. I expect him to fight that way. But when he sees opportunities in the middle or the second half of fights, he's got to take them. He didn't take that opportunity that I thought was there for him against Jose Zepeda. As he goes forward, uh, I think he's going to start to take them because it's going to be very hard for matchroom to get guys to want to fight this guy. Right now, Hitchens is inside the top seven in two of the four sanctioning bodies. The only way he's going to get a big fight is if a mandatory challenge is called and he's he's into it that way. Because otherwise, nobody in their right mind is going to sign up to fight that guy. So I'm fine with him fighting this particular style. It's just when you get to the latter stages... And you see a guy hurt, you got to jump on him. Hitches didn't do that in the fight against cepeda He's got to do that moving forward.
4: You and Todd Grisham uh, said the exact same thing when we were calling Devin Haney fights. Every single fight time Devin Haney fought on our card, one of you guys will bring up does he need to take more chances? Does he need to go for the knockout? He has guys hurt and he lets them go. He's on top of the world now, Maddox. He's number one. He's pound-for-pound pound ability. This guy's getting millions and millions of dollars. His dreams have come true, doing the exact same thing he's been doing, boxing all the way to the finish line. He's still not knocking them out. What changed? Now everyone, now he's a top dog. Nothing changed. So
3: I'd argue Haney you, goes for it more than Hitchens why? does.
4: But um, he's not getting it, and he has all the ability, all the ability in the I think world Hitchens to go punches after it, he doesn't me. go after it. We don't know that yet because he hasn't fought those type of fighters. All I'm saying is he's not excited. So excitement only goes a a certain way. You know, a a, a boxer has a short window to make a lot of money, to make the most amount of money in that short amount of career. One hiccup and you're taking two or three steps back, not only in your career and in money. You don't want to do that. Look, James Kirkland and Alfredo Angulo, two of the most exciting prospects coming out of HBO. Everyone wanted to see it. See them fight this guy, this guy, this guy. Where are they now? They never picked up a world title. They didn't make the money they should have, but they almost killed each other for the excitement of you and everyone else. Where are they now, Mannix? Where are they now? You think excitement got them to where they should have gone? Hell no, man. Excitement, forget about it. Make a career.
3: Well, there are opposite sides to that argument. I mean, Gennady Golovkin had a phenomenal career. He was a very exciting fighter, in the ring. Um, Arturo Gatti had a phenomenal career. He was a very exciting fighter in the ring. For every example you use of heavy-handed guys who had short careers, I can certainly give other examples of guys yeah. with pop that had long careers. And again, I'm not I'm not talking about Hitchens becoming Kirkland or becoming Angulo. I'm talking about when you see an opportunity, go for it. Don't just go in with a game plan that you're going to follow no matter what. If you see a guy... That has looked like he's given up, and I thought Zepeda 10th, 11th round looked like he had given up. There was a moment I think they were right in front of us where Zepeda looked rocked. He looked hurt. The referee was nearby. I would have liked to see Hitchens jump on Zepeda. Then, in the, with those opportunities, you got to take them if they're presented. You got to take him. You can't just cruise these decisions when guys are giving you a chance to stop them. That's my only. That's my only point on that. I think he's he's a great fighter. Gonna be very tough to beat with that style, but. When you have an opportunity to go for a knockout, you got to go for it. All right, last thing I want to get to, Sergio, because we have a huge fight this weekend. Undisputed 154 champion, 154-pound 154 champion, Jermel Charlo, will be moving up two weight classes to face Canelo Alvarez. Um, I know I'm going to get called a hater for this, but I have been on record as saying I don't think this is a competitive fight. Charlo is a junior middleweight jumping up to super middleweight. And yes, he's got a little bit of height on Canelo. We know that. Everybody does. But he's jumping up two weight classes. He's coming off a 17-month layoff. And he's coming off an injury that cost him most of those 17 months. A hand injury that was pretty significant. So I don't see a pathway to victory here, Sergio. I've watched Charlo's last two fights against Brian Castaño. Yes, to his credit, got the knockout against Castaño in the second fight. But everything Castaño does, Canelo does five times better. Like, the pressure, the power... Uh, you know, forcing a fight, cutting the ring up. All these things Castano did effectively against Jermel Charlo. Canelo does a lot better. I don't know how Charlo's going to keep Canelo off him. I think he gets to him in the second half of the fight and stops him eighth, ninth round. And either way, I don't think it's all that competitive. Give me an argument, if you have one, I guess, that Charlo can be competitive in this fight.
4: I don't have one. And I'm disappointed by Charlo and the promotion of this fight. And to honest, to be honest with you, I totally forgot that it was this weekend. I'm not hating. I'm not saying that because it's across the street. No, no. There's no buzz. Initially, when me and you do our show, jabs, um, I was telling you, oh, this is gonna be a massive promotion because Charlo is the bad guy, Canelo's the good, you know, the good guy who's soft spoken guy. Charlo's the lions only, he's always mean, he's always out there, just you know, the ferocity. You're not seeing that. We got a tame lion now. Respectful, if you want to see it that way, but he's never been respectful in his past fights. So what changed? Canelo's in front of them, The moment's in front of him. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. All I'm saying, the promotion's not there, and I totally forgot it was this weekend. Am I excited? Yes. I'm going to purchase and watch? Absolutely. But the is going to catch up to Charlo, if the limelight hasn't already. Because I'm telling you, we're not seeing that normal lion, that ferocity out of him. So where is that? Because he's in the face of another lion. That's one. Two, the inactivity, the injuries. That catches up to a fighter, especially once, once you're once, once the the fight's around the corner, so there's no more promotion, there's no more talking. Whatever they did already, you know, it, it, it's there now. It's time to fight. I think Canelo ends up stopping Charlo. Before this, I was I was saying that Charlo was going to hurt, uh, uh, not hurt, get the respect of Canelo, and Canelo was going to have to respect the power of Charlo, the long reach, the 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 boxing ability, the fact that Charlo fought a short, stocky power puncher back to back in Castano, that was going to suit him well, considering Canelo has similar statures. No, not anymore. Not anymore. I don't see the I don't see the lion in the eye of Charlo. I don't like the inactivity, the injury. I just think Canelo has been way too active. In the three years that Charlo's been active, he's fought once a year, three times in three years, pretty much. Canelo fought eight times in three years. That's why he's the big dog. That's why he's pound for pound number one. That's why he's the most feared guy. And between Lion versus Leon, the inactive lion versus the active Leon, I'm gonna take the Leon. As lying in Spanish, by the way, I think Canelo stops him.
3: Yeah, the the argument for Charlo includes the idea that Canelo is a diminished version of the fighter we saw winning all the belts at one sixty eight. People point to the fight against John Ryder; so they couldn't get John Ryder out of there. But the counter argument to that is: Look, Canelo was coming off a major injury himself; had surgery on his hand. It was a home com- uh, hometown fight, and Ryder, frankly, is a tough guy. You know, he's he's a he's a strong, tough guy at one sixty eight. Who you know, ju- you know survived some rough moments and eventually went the distance with Canelo. I, I don't think Canelo is all that diminished at all, Sergio. He's certainly not the guy that we saw between 2018 and what, 2022. Hey, you said 22. Canelo
4: is not diminished or is diminished?
3: I don't think he's that. I, look, he's not the same guy we saw beating Golovkin in 2018 all the way up to stopping Caleb Plant at the end of 2020. So make up your mind. Make guy, up your mind. Is that guy he
4: diminished or are we not seeing? Yes or no? It's he is
3: diminishing. I mean, or not he's 32, 33 years old. That's so yes question, yeah, is, just, Yes or no? If 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 that version of Canelo was the 100% version. 2018 and 2021, I think this version's 90. So yeah, I think he's 10% worse than what he was at his very best. But I also think Charlo is a little bit worse. People talk talking about age. Charlo's older. Yes, I know Canelo's been fighting as a pro much longer, but Charlo is the older man chronologically and he's coming off a long layoff and a real hand injury. These things just uh, I-, I don't know. I mean Look, I'm with you. I'm going to buy the fight. I think Undisputed vs. Undisputed is a great storyline. Uh, I'm curious to see how Charlo acts during fight week. Is he more aggressive? Does he get in Canelo's face a little bit more? Uh, I know Canelo's already trying to find a little bit of motivation by saying that Charlo, when they were both with Golden Boy Promotions, never respected his skill. I don't even remember that. But Canelo is is trying to fuel the tank a little bit more. Uh, so maybe Charlo you know, gets a little going during this fight week, but... Even if he does, I I, I don't see it. I, I don't see Charlo being able to keep Canelo off him. Castagna was all over Charlo over the course of their two fights, and Canelo will do the exact same things but better and comes into it with an absolute granite chin. Canelo cannot be hurt, not by Jamel Charlo, at least. He went 12 rounds with Dimitri Bivol. He went 36 with Gennady Golovkin. He has been in with some big punchers at super middleweight and above, and he's taken them all out, or he's taken most of them out, I should say. So... I don't I don't see hurting Canelo as being an option for Charlo. I think he just, I think Canelo does what he does. He hunts him down, eventually gets him in the second half of this fight.
4: Well, I'm glad you're not a company man, Chris Mannix, because you answered my question somewhat there, weaseling out of it. Yes, we are seeing, seeing a diminishing side of Canelo, but that's what happens when, you're been, when you've been fighting since you're 15 years old and has 65 professional fights, fighting the absolute best after best after best. He doesn't take, you know, tune-ups. That, not that many, at least. Uh, so this is the one of the greatest fighters of our generation, certainly probably one of the greatest top two Mexican fighters of all time with that lineage. Uh, but one thing that doesn't diminish, yes, the elbows, the knees, the ribs, the, all the injuries pile up, and a fighter is bound to diminish, especially as active as Canelo. But one thing that doesn't go is the chin. That never goes, Manix. You can go you, – your chin will last all the way to the end. Ask Muhammad Ali. Ask Sugar Ray Leonard. Ask every great – that 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 had speed that had power that had explosiveness they were able to able to fight to the very end of their career nowhere near what they were because of their chin canelo can do that as well because he can take a big punch so yeah charlo doesn't have the activity the confidence the injury everything's against charlo i'm very disappointed in this promotion uh and as far as style versus style yeah i don't see anything charlo can do to keep him off if i would have seen a different chip on charlo's shoulder if i would have seen you know the 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 old charlo the, the charlo that we're accustomed to seeing even though it's just promotion a facade or, or the bad boy i don't care it sells i want to see that i want to see that chip in the shoulder i want to see the look in the eye i want to see the eye of the tiger or the eye of the lion i'm not getting that i'm getting a timid lion here against another one so yeah i got canelo by knockout this one
3: When did you start to diminish, in your 20s?
4: Uh, Physically, in my late 20s, internally, (laughs) my late teens.
3: (laughs) You know the most resilient thing about you is your liver.
4: (laughs) You're damn right, because it recuperates pretty fast. Kind of like when you cut off the snake of a lizard, similar to Latin snakes.
3: And when we come back, my conversation with the great Jim Lampley. With the busy fall season just around the corner, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Well, Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with chef prepared dietitian dietician-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy with your end-of-summer goals to cook, but want to make sure you're eating well? With Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the shopping prepping and cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need factors fresh never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes so all you have to do is heat and enjoy then get back to crushing your goals refresh your healthy habits without missing a beat choose from 34 plus flavor packed dietitian approved meals ready to eat in just two minutes level up with gourmet plus options prepared to perfection by chefs, and ready to eat in record time. Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. This August, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head to FactorMeals.com manix 50 And use the code MANIX50 to get 50% off. That's a great deal. That's code MANIX50 at factormeals.com slash MANIX50 to get 50% off. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And... As long as it keeps running, and so far, so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs
2: Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
3: All right, Jim Lampley, the longtime voice of HBO Boxing, Boxing Hall of Famer. This week, he is working with PayPerView.com, providing on-site coverage and analysis for the Canelo Alvarez-Jermell Charlo fight, which you can order at PPV.com. That includes a viewer chat on Fight Week. And uh, Jim, kind enough to join me for a chat here on the show. So, Jim, let me ask you the broad, abstract question. Since HBO has been out of the boxing business for the better part of the last five years, what has Jim Lampley been doing for the last five years?
0: Well, uh, I moved from Southern California to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, home of my uh, alma mater for both undergraduate and graduate school a long time ago. I accepted an appointment that had been sort of standing by waiting for me to teach a course uh, to seniors and graduate students here at UNC, a course that I developed, um, Evolution of Storytelling in American Electronic News Media. Everybody expected me to teach something with regard to sports. I didn't, Uh, but I did have a background as a news anchor and a news commentator, so I wanted to talk about what I thought was a more important topic going forward. I was in the midst of my first semester of teaching uh, Communications 490 when COVID hit. Uh, a variety of things happened all at once. It was a whirlwind. And my wife, Deborah, and I wound up uh, staying here in Chapel Hill for that period of time, uh, purchasing one apartment that later became uh, a larger house and sort of uh, putting down new in Chapel Uh, We still go back to Southern California to visit family, but now we are um, residents of Chapel Hill. I taught my course for five semesters until it thoroughly exhausted me. And uh, (laughs) at at the moment that I chose to take a semester off, suddenly out of the blue emerged the opportunity to do uh, ringside chat for PPV.com. And now I'm headed back to a, uh, a prize fight for the first time in almost five years, uh, which is kind of a startling phenomenon that uh, it, it took this long for such an opportunity to come along and, uh, and that I uh, filled the time so continuously uh, during the time that it wasn't happening. But I did keep watching fights, paying attention to fights, et cetera, so I'm not totally out of the loop. Um, just out of practice as I get ready to come back and do something new that I haven't done before. Uh, typing observations into a uh, uh, a text screen, trading observations with Lance Pugmire, whom you know very well from uh, Los Angeles Times, and answering questions from viewers uh, if they want while watching Canelo and Charlo fight.
3: Wild that it's been five years. I mean, you're a man that, you know, at least once a month, probably twice or more would spend your life on the road or ringside, you know, calling a broadcast in those five years, how much have you missed boxing?
0: Uh, you know, it's, uh, an emotionally engulfing the sport, not involving engulfing, you know, it can, it can take over your whole being if, uh, if you're covering it as continuously and as meaningfully as I was asked to cover it by HBO, it's a global sport, not a national sport. It's, uh, you know, at the end of the day when I had my semi-monthly magazine style show and HBO was experimenting with, uh, the expansion of the boxing universe, i was concerned about women fighters, concerned about fighters from Eastern Europe and, uh, and uh, Western Europe and various countries all around the globe, along with American fighters. It was a vast uh, informational landscape to stay up to date with. So therefore, uh, to have it go away and not um, have the need to pay attention and keep up with all that, I'm just glad that my course <clears throat> Communication overnight was challenging enough that it filled the gap in a lot of different ways and uh, and I wound up being completely involved in something else and of course involved in life in Chapel Hill, you know, uh, making new friendships on the faculty, getting in touch with people I hadn't seen in 40 years, going to the basketball and football games, having pretty good food. um sometimes sitting with the chancellor, etc, etc. It's all it's all been really rewarding and lots of fun, and everything I sort of dreamed would be the case if I happened to come back and live in Chapel Hill. So back in
3: 2019, you were uh, scheduled to call the Teofimo Lopez-George Kambosos fight for Triller when that fight was ticketed for that platform, obviously for other reasons— that fight fell apart. It was pushed to the fall. Matt Shroom picked it up and Triller has phased its way out of boxing. What happened with you and Triller? Because that seemed like something that could be just more than just one fight for you to be back in boxing.
0: Do so, uh, The one fight. Uh, it was uh, at that moment, a sort of get acquainted look-see deal. One fight. See if I wanted to work for them continuously. Um, Teofimo got sick, and uh, and the fight came down. Uh, eventually, Triller asked me to go to Miami to cover Evander Holyfield versus an MMA fighter. I know nothing about MMA. I've, I've never immersed me myself either. in it. Yeah, <laughs> Max Kellerman was an MMA expert. I admired that about him. I didn't have the bandwidth. So um, I said to Triller, it's, it's really it's not valid for me to go and uh, cover that fight. I don't know enough about uh, the person that Evander is fighting or the the life that he's been living to to be a competent blow-by-blow uh, commentator for something like that. Um, eventually, for a variety of reasons, I was really glad that I didn't go. Uh, and uh, And then at that point, it was just a matter of looking and waiting to see if someone else was going to make me and offered to accept the ringside blow-by-blow position. And um, I'm happy for all of the people who were already seated in those chairs that nobody was asked to leave and give his chair up. All the people who worked for the other people who were distributing fights uh, via um, the web or pay-per-view or uh, television, they all stayed in place. They were very competent boxing blow-by-blow people again, again. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have the bittersweet experience of uh, moving into someone else's job, and I wound up sitting here not calling fights for a long, long time. And uh, and now here comes the opportunity to communicate in another form, in a uh, in a, a new way of expressing during the fights. And I'm very interested in that. Part of what my course was about was all of the ways in which the news business has worked. And move from here to there to here. And the uh, impact of social media and other digital elements with regard to news transmission, content uh, management, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So now I'm a part of it uh, in the continuing evolution of boxing coverage.
3: Are you interested in calling fights again?
0: Sure. Um, but... I have to be realistic about it. I haven't called a fight in almost five years. Um, I'm I'm not by traditional standards numerically young, uh, and as I say, those you know the, those people who are doing fights continuously, the Zone, um, Showtime, ESPN. Some others, they have people sitting in those chairs, and and they've decided to stick with those people, and um, I'm happy for them. I mean, it's been a a painful reality several times in my broadcasting life, that if I got a good job, someone else was losing a good job. Uh, I'm forever deeply grateful to Barry Tompkins, that when I replaced Barry Tompkins at HBO, it had to be very painful for him. We remained friends. uh, And Stayed in touch right up until the moment when he was uh, elected to the International Boxing Hall of Fame, and uh, same with others in the blow-by-blow blow craft, like Tim Ryan, with whom I stayed in touch and remained friendly. I'm happy that everybody's life went on productively, and that's good.
3: So, for most of your time calling fights with HBO, A- HBO was by far the most powerful broadcaster in a lot of ways, a singular broadcast. There were some competitors showtime, especially towards the end, but HBO was the Goliath in the industry over the last five years. Kind of what have you thought as you've seen the fluctuation in the number of broadcasters that have gotten in and in many cases gotten out of boxing, it's been a a swelling of broadcasts from NBC spike, bounce, Fox, to uh, a decrease in the number over the years. What have you kind of thought as you've seen the number of broadcasts kind of grow and then shrink over the years?
0: I've thought if it's confusing for me, it must be confusing as hell for viewers and fans of the sport. And uh, I think it probably is. Um, I think that um, a lot of people, even executives for some of these um, entities that have uh, set – set their foot into the water and then sometimes pull back out, I think they failed to properly recognize the difference between boxing television and other kinds of sports television. Um, You know, you deal with the NBA. For uh, sports like the NBA and Major League Baseball and NFL football, uh, the basic model there that fuels viewer interest and keeps those sports uh, feeding the meter for television entities is abundance and regularity. I know that the Yankees are going to play the Red Sox 18 times this year. Uh, I know that uh, all of those games will be available to me via some television transmission system in New York, Boston, Uh, or nationally. I know how that relates to all the other sports that are in that regular envelope. Boxing's never been that kind of thing. And one of the things that made Showtime and HBO preeminent in boxing and, and took away the thunder of... ABC's Wide World of Sports, why first began calling fights CBS Sports Spectacular and NBC Sports World um, was that those shows were still built around the abundance and regularity model and boxing is built on scarcity and irregularity. I have to see this fight because this might be the only time that it happens. If I'm not watching this Saturday night. I won't get a chance to see Sugar Ray Leonard and Marvin Hagler again. That was the model that made this a premium pay cable sport. It was different from all other sports. It was totally entrepreneurial. Events came and went. And if you weren't watching and paying attention and you had not bought the service, then you weren't going to be able to be involved. Um, that, That was thrilling to me because it meant that every event was its own perfect snowflake. And they all uh, materialized organically in different ways. And the economic return from those events was magnified by the scarcity and irregularity. And I always understood that and bonded with it. Uh, So uh, I I think that um, uh, maybe the general audience has begun to understand what that is now. And it's beginning to influence um, some of their regularity and abundance sports in ways that they may not previously have uh, seen coming. But it's all about the productivity of the economic model that concentrates the income from every individual event.
3: So I want to talk about Canelo, who is going to defend his super middleweight titles uh, on Saturday against Jamel Charlo. Around this time last year, Jim, uh, we had Canelo finishing off the trilogy with Gennady Golovkin. You called the first two fights between Canelo and Triple G, both of which were tremendous fights, competitive fights. Uh, The third one, the scorecards were relatively close, but it was nowhere near as thrilling or as competitive as the first two. What were you thinking, kind of watching that trilogy conclude in the way that it did?
0: There's only one thriller in Manila. Uh, There's only one trilogy I know of which produced a third fight of uh, the kind of dramatic impact that took place between uh, Frazier and Ali. There were a lot of personality factors uh, and uh, organic factors rel- relative to the side of the fight that went into that. And uh, for Canelo and Triple G to go back to the same arena in which they had fought the first two times with careers necessarily, seemingly, a little bit past the the upper element and headed possibly toward the downside, it was inevitable, I think, that it was uh, lesser combat than, than the first two. And watching the third fight, I felt, I don't want to say I felt privileged that I wasn't calling it because I'd still love to call all the fights, but I felt privileged that I had called the first two uh, because those were time capsule fights and the third one was not. Um, and, I think a lot of what we're looking at with Canelo next Saturday night in Las Vegas is, or this coming Saturday night in Las Vegas is, where is he now? Uh, you know, at, at what point have you made enough money and bought enough beautiful thoroughbreds and been treated to enough uh, overwhelming favors by the privileged elite of Mexico that? You go into the gym with something less than the same uh, devoted and fanatical edge that it takes to train at your best in boxing. And one thing I always say to fans is if if a fighter, toward the end of his career, shows up at the gym every day for six or eight weeks at 2% less than what he was before, and the trainer is comfortable because he's made money, and the people around him are more comfortable because they've made money, nobody it's possible that nobody sees a two percent diminution on a day-to-day basis but that can lead to showing up on fight night 10 or 12 percent less than than what you used to be and that's where uh the the unexpected enters in so how much does canelo have left in terms of being able to devote himself in the maximum way that it takes to be the best you can be in the ring against a younger hungrier Potentially faster, uh, up and coming challenger, uh, whom only a few people are giving much chance to win the fight.
3: You know, I- I'm wondering as you watch Golovkin in that fight, as you monitored kind of Golovkin's uh, fight schedule over the last few years, HBO played a pivotal role in, in, the, de- in the development and the growth, at least publicly. Of Gennady Golovkin, you watched him really from 2013 to 2018. Say, I'll take on all comers, fighting two, three. I think he got close to four at one point times per calendar year. Over the last few years, uh, you know, Gennady wasn't really interested in that. It's not that's not a new development for fighters as they get a little bit older for not wanting to take on certain challenges. But did it disappoint you at all in in the latter stage of Golovkin's career post Canelo 2 to see him? I don't want to say avoid the big challenges, but certainly not race towards them in the way he was pushing for them early in his career.
0: Never express any disappointment in Gennady Golovkin, given what he did for HBO, uh, my network and what he did for my career. He was through most of his career, a life and death fighter and, and the kind of life and death fighter who provides an intensity of drama that uh, is very difficult to match in the boxing world. That and the way that he spoke, the way he mastered just enough English to project his character in the ring in those post-fight interviews made him irresistible. Um, he was platinum. And uh, and I'm not sure that we had another platinum commodity at HBO uh, at that time. Canelo certainly was a tremendous and meaningful commodity. But did he have the kind of ring personality that Gennady had? No, nobody did. Um, So again, I would never express any disappointment. He, through the style in which he fought, gave us all he had for a long time.
3: So you mentioned how so few people are picking uh, Jamel Charlo in this fight. And I'm in that same boat. I, I I simply, Jim, do not see a pathway to victory for Jermel Charlo. Um, I know people point to Canelo being more shopworn than he was in years past, but we're talking about a Jermel Charlo jumping up two weight classes, coming off a 17-month layoff, and fighting his first fight after a hand injury that was so significant that it forced most of that 17-month layoff. I just think this is one of the simpler fights for Canelo to get to get through. Uh, Do you have a compelling argument otherwise? Do you have a compelling argument that this is a more competitive fight than people think?
0: I I, I wouldn't call it a compelling argument uh, because everything you say is true, but uh, I would call it a time honored argument because boxing is as Larry Merchant so frequently said, the theater of the unexpected. And uh, again, we don't know everything at this moment about the circumstances of um, Canelo's psyche and, you know, how much he's been satisfied by his experiences <clears throat> having gotten to the top is he possessed of an overwhelmingly deep hunger to get back to number one pound for pound, which requires that he wins this fight and then somehow sets up an opportunity to fight Terrence Crawford, because let's face it, the road to pound for pound number one now, now goes through Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and uh, is he possessed of that, or or is he fighting to pad the bank account uh, a little bit more and uh, add a little bit more to his uh, unique Mexican legacy and stamp himself one more time uh, as possibly, take your pick, the greatest Mexican fighter of all time, which is a, a unique identity in the sport? If that's enough for him, then... Again, I don't know what happens uh, in training. And uh, Jamel Charlo is talented. Jamel Charlo is quick. Jamel Charlo can crack, especially with the left hook. Um, this is not an out of the question upset possibility. This this is a fight that could very well yield uh, a groundbreaking surprise, which leads us into another business era, because. Um, If I'm Terrence Crawford sitting in Omaha, who do I want to win? I very much want Canelo Alvarez to win for two reasons. That's the most money I can make. And I believe that he's old enough that I can get him. Um, But if Charlo wins uh, and, you know, has on his record a victory over Canelo Alvarez, now there are a lot of people saying, wow, uh, does Crawford really want to fight Jamel Charlo? He just proved a lot with uh, that performance in uh, a big fight. You know, it's it's all relative to the kinds of theoretical discussions and um, sometimes uh, overinflated expectations that make boxing what it is.
3: So before I let you go, I do want to ask you about Terrence Crawford. Back in 2007, it was your colleague Larry Merchant who first floated the idea of a dream fight between Manny Pacquiao and Oscar De La Hoya. Uh, Do you get any kind of, you know, familiar tingle when you hear about Crawford moving up three weight classes to fight Canelo? Or do you, as someone that called a lot of Terrence Crawford's fights, do you look at that as maybe being a bridge too far?
0: Well, I think that Crawford has something that Canelo wants, which is number one pound for pound. And uh, if I'm Terrence Crawford, I'm saying to myself, not even for a second am I going to concede to this guy that I might move to 168 to fight him. I want to fight him at 160 or even more ideally at 154. Um, And I don't think that Candela would agree to 154. But if he has to come down eight pounds to 160 to get this last opportunity to add to possibly greatest Mexican fighter of all time, pound for pound number one at the moment of his possible retirement, wouldn't he give up the eight pounds and go fight Crawford at 160? I think that's a possibly logical uh, pathway toward that fight taking place. And uh, given what Crawford showed uh, against Errol Spence, I'm not sure I don't make him the favorite over Canelo at 160. Depends on what Canelo looks like against Charlo.
3: Yeah, I think it's fascinating to think about if Canelo gets through a Charlo fight. Because Crawford sure seems to be focused on it. You see Crawford on social media Calling for that fight on a regular basis.
0: So I'd be fascinated to see if that well, fight can be put together. I mean, like I say, yeah, there are lots of other guys that Crawford can fight. There's nobody who's gonna make him the kind of money that he gets to fight uh, Canelo Alvarez, and he knows that. Uh, so I you know, I think Terrence is very determined, very strong-minded. Terrence runs his deal, Terrence gets what Terrence wants in most instances, and he is a uniquely talented in the current framework balanced counterpuncher who can put super power on counter punches in a way that most fighters can't he showed that against spence
3: jim lampley check him out all week fight week on site in vegas doing work for pay-per-view.com we'll also be doing a live chat during the fight on pay-per-view.com the live stream there jim always good to talk to you man hope you uh, enjoy
0: your first fight week in a while All right, Chris, and uh, let me know when you are here in Chapel Hill to look at Elliot Cadeau or uh, Armando (laughs) Bacock, and I'll be happy to uh, line you up and take you out to dinner, all right? Absolutely. It's a deal. All right.
3: That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Sergio Mora and Jim Lampley for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts, and I'll see you next week.
2: Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75 percent off a summer full of your favorite artists like Twenty One Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25
1: With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy.